helping business leaders grow themselves, their team, and their profits. This is the Entree Leadership Podcast. Now, here is your host, Ken Coleman. Broadcasting from the Music City, thrilled to have you with us. Thank you so much for the download. Feature conversation this episode is with Robert Kiyosaki. That's right, the rich dad, poor dad, multi-million selling author. That was a huge book. I remember much, much younger days. That book was a sensation. And, of course, he's a real estate mogul, and uh, you're going to love this conversation. And then we're going to give you some great stuff from Dave. Dave, reading from Chapter 4 of the number one New York Times bestselling book, Entree Leadership. Specifically, Chapter 4, The Spineless Leader is an Oxymoron. This is good stuff. The tie-in here is that I talk with Robert Kiyosaki about fear and the entrepreneur, and then Dave addresses fear so much in that chapter. So this is going to be really fun stuff. And then recently, uh, Eric, the producer, and I, we're out in Phoenix, Arizona, on site at the Infusionsoft headquarters. And Dave had been there before, and he told me, he's like, man, you're going to love this place. Super cool culture. The actual uh, headquarters buildings, they got multiple buildings there. Really fun stuff. I'll tell you more about that later. So that's what's coming to you. Hey, we want to hear your stories, and we're getting them. Thank you for that. Uh, We just have a desire to share your stories, the listener stories, with the rest of you listeners. This is a community, and we want to foster that community simply by inspiring you. And so we want to hear your stories of failure, how you came through it, stories of great success, humble beginnings, anything and everything that we talk about on this podcast. If you sense that a conversation we're having or you know that the principles of entree leadership, well, they certainly hit you where you're at and you really are an entree leader, then be proud. Share your story. Email Eric at podcast at entreeleadership.com, podcast at entreeleadership.com. We want to begin to feature those stories. So that means you send us a good story. Eric, the producer is going to call you. We're going to put you on the phone and I'm going to interview you. So there you go. There's the invite. Email away. Um, I want to say this about Robert Kiyosaki. For those of you that are longtime Dave fans, let's just get this out of the way. Uh, We know that he and Dave disagree on debt. By the way, he and Dave know they disagree on debt, but they're still friends. Which, a little side note here, I think it's pretty cool when two big shots like Robert Kiyosaki and Dave Ramsey can be friends, despite a pretty big difference on a fundamental issue that they're about. And I think that is to be admired. I think it is to be emulated. Because we can learn from people we disagree with. We can admire people that we disagree with. Dave's the master at that. There's (laughs) there's no lack of clarity on what Dave believes. But he's friends with people that he doesn't always agree with. And you'll hear that. Robert is an admirer of Dave. You'll hear that in this conversation. So I wanted to get that out of the way. What we focused our conversation on was you, the entrepreneur. Some of the things you're going to hear in this conversation is, hey, Why do entrepreneurs fail? What's the number one reason? How do you handle fear? How do you really win in your messaging? How do you cut through the clutter? Lots of good stuff here. And this guy's a legend. So let's get to it. This is my conversation with Robert Kiyosaki. Well, Robert, it's fun to have you on with us and so much we're going to discuss today. But I want to start with the idea of messaging. In 2015, There are so many messages coming at consumers all the time, and it is an increasingly noisy world. You are somebody who certainly understands how to message and message well. So what would you say to entrepreneurs and leaders about messaging in 2015? 
Well, I think you have some very powerful examples of messaging or communication. And, you know, we have, we have so many different ways of communicating. But when I look at the presidential debates, I'm, I'm not Republican or Democrat. You look at who's getting through. You know, and the guys are getting through. You know, Trump's doing an outstanding job. Bernie's doing a great job. Um, I can't remember their names anymore. But that's how <laughs> I remember. Do you, know, right. do you know what I mean? I, I don't even remember Jeb Bush, not for his brother. I probably never remember him. Mm. So the point is, what I notice those guys doing is they actually have energy and emotion behind their words. They also speak in sound bites. You know, like when Trump looked at uh, Rand Paul and said, hey, what are you doing on the stage? You're only a one percenter. He destroyed Rand Paul. He destroyed him. Mm. You know what I mean? When he, yeah. when he says to Jeb Bush, you're low energy, destroys him. Mm. So that's messaging. Yeah, it's interesting you bring this up because neither Bernie Sanders or Donald Trump are what we would call eloquent speakers. They're not dynamic per se in their style of communicating, but as you say, it's a simple soundbite. So let's talk a little bit about words how to get a message even simpler. So we've been kind of talking about that delivery. But when it comes to a brand, and you certainly understand brands, you have become a brand. Uh, what would you say is key to standing out in an increasingly noisier world and relates to all the options that a customer has these days? What would you say about simplifying that message? Uh, that's not an easy question, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> uh, you know, um, you know, they talk about being an overnight success is once I knew I was going to be a speaker or stuff like this, I just started taking lessons and I practice, practice, practice. I'm not Buddhist either or Christian or all that stuff. But what they say is your life is a practice. In other words, the question is, what are you practicing every day? And, you know, many people practice being fat and hoggy every day. You know, they, they go to work. I drink beer and go to the bar and have chicken wings. And I love that stuff. But if I did that every day, that's what I'd be practicing. Mm. Or I could read, I can you know, do interviews like this and practice. Or if I want to be a pro golfer, I'd better practice. So many people who are poor practice being poor. And the middle class practice being middle class. And the rich practice being rich. So the question I, I leave with everybody, what are you doing every single day? So what I'm doing most of the time is, you know, I, I used to teach 300 days a year because that's how I got my practice. It wasn't about how much money I made. It was a matter of what was I doing every single day. And mm. I'm still doing the same thing. I'm kind of doing that with you right now. I'm practicing. Yeah, I love that. You know, I read a story about your early career when you went to Xerox and then you started dialing for dollars at a local charity. And the reason was is so you could learn how to handle rejection faster. And so I love this because you just talk about practicing. This is unique, I think, for young people to understand, millennials certainly that are listening in, that there's something to stepping into rejection so you handle how to get out of it a little bit better and a little bit quicker in life. Is that what was a big breakthrough for you? Very big breakthrough. But I, let me tell you where they learn not to do that is, you know, education is more important than before, but it's taught by academics like my poor dad. And in academia, they tell you don't make mistakes. Mm -hmm. And so what happens, smart people are people who memorize answers but don't make mistakes. And in reality, the mistakes are more important than the answer. 
So that's why I say practice. You know, when I played football, you know, five days a week we practiced and then we played for a couple hours on Saturday or Sunday. Mm. So if you're going to be successful in life, you have to make mistakes, but you have to find an environment where you're allowed to fail, to make mistakes. So I'm not allowed to fail at Xerox because they fire you. So that's why I went at night to a nonprofit because they, they were just happy to see me there even though I was failing. <laughs> that's right. That's <laughs> and right. so the more I failed, ironically, my sales at Xerox went up. So the key is practice. You know, in, in the theater, it's called rehearsal. You rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. And that's who the successful people are, the people who fail, 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 succeed. I love that. And I have to ask you, we have a lot of parents listening in here. This isn't just a leadership conversation. Isn't that what we need to be doing as parents is allowing our kids to fail, putting them in environments where they actually can fail and then learn how to respond? I would, you know, that's my opinion. And every, you know, I don't have children and I don't think I should give advice to parents on their children. But nonetheless... You know, I learned via failure. You know, I, I learned to be a pretty good football player practicing. I go to, you know, the coach would sit there and encourage me to try this, try that, try this. So today as an entrepreneur, you know, I'm practicing every day, but I'm not practicing going to work. I'm practicing new ideas, trying this, this marketing plan, working with my team and all this. That's what I practice every day. Most people are encouraging their kids to go to school, get a job and sit in a cubicle. That's not good practice. <laughs> no, it is not at all. All right, so I want to get your opinion on why entrepreneurs fail. So we're talking about failing, which isn't a bad thing, but I would love to get your opinion on why those that fail do fail. Well, first of all, everybody can be an entrepreneur. It's not, not a big deal. In my neighborhood, it was a very affluent neighborhood. <laughs> These two little kids up the street and during the summer, they're out there with a lemonade stand. You know, they're entrepreneurs. My yard guy is an entrepreneur. My house cleaner is an entrepreneur. The trouble is they're self-employed. Mm. And 98% of all entrepreneurs are self-employed. They're called non-employee businesses. So to go from self-employed to having, you know, I've hundreds of people working for me, I had to have different skills. And number one skill was how to sell. But the biggest skill was how do I control my emotions, my attitude, you know, my fears, my doubts, my body, my mind. If I can learn to control myself, I can control the world. But every time I'd come to work and I'd lose my temper with an employee, I lost. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So self-control, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual is the key to being an entrepreneur. And most entrepreneurs do not have those controls. Like when they run out of money, fear kicks in. And, you know, when the fear kicks in, it goes into the, the limbic system of the brain. And that's when fear of money kicks in or losing money kicks in, you do insane things. It's, there's no different than a mammoth chasing you or a saber-toothed tiger chasing the caveman. When the limbic system of the brain kicks in, you stop thinking, you become reactionary. Mm. So that's what happens to people who are entrepreneurs. So how do they face that gigantic fear in the face and persevere? Well, join the Marine Corps. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way. I, I, you know, uh, that definitely is one way. Boy, I tell you, I met some of the finest young men. I was a pilot in Vietnam. And tell you, some of these young guys, my crew chiefs and gunners, 
you know, we go to hell together. I mean, we did a lot of things because we loved each other. So love is a tremendous power out there. The question, you know, it's a very good questions you're asking me. Your listeners should be asking yourself, what am I practicing today? What am I practicing now? If you're listening to this, you're practicing being a student, which is a very good practice. Mm. As you know, most people right now are watching the Kardashians eating chicken wings and drinking beer. That's practice also. (laughs) (laughs) That is, Boy, that's just awful. That makes me shudder thinking about that. Oh, it's it's frightening. It's frightening what I see in America today. So I'm listening to you, Robert, and I'm thinking to myself that in order to persevere through fear, that we have to then practice the opposite of fear, and that's belief. So from your Marine Corps experience, from your vast business experience, you speak to people all the time. I'm just curious, what are some practical ways that we can really begin to practice belief so that we have an antidote, if you will, when fear pops its nasty, ugly head up? A human being is made of a body, mind, emotions, and spirit. And the way I learned to handle that, a lot of the times in the Marine Corps, you just take a deep breath shut your mind off and you just face the fear you breathe in and you breathe out i remember rolling in in vietnam and rounds were coming up at us you know and we knew we were probably going to die at that moment but if my emotions had taken over i'd be dead Mm. so i just took a deep breath quieted my mind told my mind to shut up and keep flying straight into the jaws of death now that you can do the same thing every day when you're dealing with an idiot, and we deal with idiots all day long. You can do, do the same thing when somebody cuts in line with you. Just take a deep breath. It's that practice of calming your soul, your body, your emotions. You know, when I'm dealing with, I have an unpleasant situation coming up this afternoon, I'm already practicing being calm for it. Does that make sense to you? Absolutely does. And it's, it's in the breath. You know, how long is your life? One breath long. That's it. Mm. And so you have a choice. When your breath stills, your soul and your mind and your spirit and your focus, when you're not chattering, wake up, ah, 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 and you quiet that mind, your spirit takes over. Mm. The word practice just keeps popping up, folks. You're listening to this, and you've heard Robert say it multiple times, and it's a great word. And I I think it's the great context for our conversation. So I want to switch to the role of leadership. I know it's a topic that you're passionate about, you're knowledgeable about. So let's look at a young leader, uh, whether they be young in age or young in experience in leadership. What are some practices that will help them succeed early on in their leadership? Well, that's a very good question. There's different types of leaders, if you know what I mean. It's like I was saying, every presidential candidate has a different style, a different message, a different way of conveying their message. So I would study, the first thing I look at it is, what kind of leader do you want to be? And then find a role model. You know, Donald Trump and I wrote two books together. He and I are very good friends. We have very similar styles. We're very combative. You know, I'm not a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I'm saying? Sure. And so it's up to you to find the role model of the leader you want to be. And then that becomes a model inside your head. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Mm. Speaking of the uh, economic environment in America today, I'm curious what you think, because it seems that we hear from the news outlets all the time, it's 24-7, the economy's this, the economy's that. And then I'm traveling with Dave as we speak to entrepreneurs all around the country at our events. And these men and women are winning. There's still great companies that are, that are literally being created 
and 12 months later are skyrocketing. Uh, do you think the environment is as bad as we hear in the media, or do you think that there is a separation between what's being reported and what's happening on Main Street? I think, you know, people are too close to the picture. you got to step back, look at the big picture. What you and I and all of us listening are living through right now is we're at the end of the industrial age, beginning of the information age. So the people who are industrial age are getting their butts kicked, and people who are thinking in information age are starting to win. Mm-hmm. So that's really the challenge. Mm. All right, I want to talk to you about something that all entrepreneurs need to figure out, whether they're doing it personally or they've got a great team doing it, and that's sales. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, sales is the lifeblood of any organization. Uh, what are your thoughts on, again, we're talking to a lot of entrepreneurs here. They may not have a huge company with huge teams, VP of sales, so forth and so on. Uh, what would you say to those leaders? In my opinion, is that the entrepreneur has got to be the number one salesperson. You know, like I read in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, because I get criticized all by these academics, like my poor dad, you know. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I flunked out of school twice because I can't write. And when I submitted Rich Dad, Poor Dad 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago to publishers, you know, they said, you can't write. And I said, yeah, I can't write, but I am a best-selling author. <laughs> That's right. Hard to argue My that. book sucks, but I can sell it, you know? <laughs> and, and, and that really, really upsets the academic types like my poor dad. You know, well, I'm a straight-A student, and I have A's in English. So, yeah, I have an F in English, but I can sell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you can't sell, I wouldn't be an entrepreneur. That's my opinion. Now, there's entrepreneurs who don't have to sell, but it also limits your range and reach because communication is everything today. If, you know, there's so many different forms, methods, and modes of communication. And that's why I said I would watch the next presidential you know, debates and all that and find out which style most resonates to you. You know, mm-hmm. I love Trump because he's, a, he's bombastic. He's a butthead a lot of the times. <laughs> right. I love it. Right. Now, you know, and Marco Rubio to me is too much of a nice guy. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't, I don't like, and I'm not a nice guy. But if you're a nice guy, Marco's your, your model. You know, it's interesting, though. You said that a couple of times, so I, I want to dive into this because it is a phenomenon. And he's Trump has outlasted most of the experts, which I think is fantastic. There's clearly, Robert, a anti-incumbent, anti-career politician uh, nerve that Trump is hitting. But isn't it deeper than just him, you know, being not so nice and blunt? I mean, the fact of the matter is a lot of women are supporting him. Minorities are supporting him. I mean, he's doing something more than just being blunt. It's what he's saying. Is it not? Right. My study is communications and leadership because that's what entrepreneurs must be. You know, I can hire attorneys. I can hire accountants. But I got to be the best communicator. Trump is using, and he's a natural at it, is neuroscience. And neuroscience in our world, as far as entrepreneurs go, is Trump is saying what the other person is already thinking. Mm-hmm. And when you can say what the other person is thinking, even if they hate you, they like you. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to you. Yes. So when he said, you know, Jeb Bush, you're low energy subconsciously, most of us were thinking of that anyway, and our, our little helmets would light up. And when he said about, unfortunately, Carly Fiorina, he says, look at that face. My wife says, what's so funny about that? I said, well, every guy's thinking it anyway. Do you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Well, you know what? Yeah, but you know what's interesting, though, Robert, is he's saying, I think, and I just want your opinion. I don't mind if you disagree with me. I've got thick skin. I think what is resonating between Trump 
and Americans that are supporting him is four words. He's saying over and over again on Twitter, he's saying it from the microphone, make America great again. And I think that's what everybody else is thinking, to your point. Well, a lot of people are thinking that because what they're thinking is America's going downhill. Right. So they're already thinking that. And then now he revived his whole campaign by criticizing George W. You know, saying George W. should have done a better job. That's as unpopular with the Republicans as that is. A lot of people think that. They think George screwed up. You know, and I, I bet, you mark my words, the next thing he's going to nail George W. on is mission accomplished because mm-hmm. we're still at war. Yeah. And, it, and what he does is whether you like Trump or not, whether you're Republican, Democratic, Independent, a lot of people see that mission accomplished. He just shows that picture again. And then we say we're still in Afghanistan. He's only saying what we're thinking or not thinking or what we're railing up against. And that's why, as an entrepreneur, I had my team come in and we did a Trump training. And it was how to say what Trump said. How to say what you mean in so few words. Mm, That's good. And again, it goes back to that favorite word of mine, practice. So my guys are all entrepreneurs. Every single one is a multimillionaire. We still study together and we practice together. That's huge. That's a big takeaway, folks, right there. They're practicing how to say in as few words as possible what you mean. And that's big. All right. So I want to talk about, we talked about sales. Let me give you an example. I don't a young woman who is an entrepreneur, she's multimillionaire, they have lots of employees, and she sat there and she says to the camera, she says, look, women, I am an entrepreneur and I am a mother. Don't ever say I can't do it because I have kids. Don't blame your kids for your lack of doing what you need to do. And And then my wife got up there and she says, women, You and I know when it comes to money, women are smarter than men. Now, the men don't like it, but the women love it. (laughs) That's right. But they think that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And we practice, practice, practice. They got the time, you know, they got the timing, the tone, the pause, impact, facial expressions down. That's why we win. Mm. It's not that we're, we're smart, we practice. That's so good. Okay, so. We talked about sales earlier, and we got a great opinion from you. I agree with you. The entrepreneur's got to be the top salesman. We talked about the vital importance of sales. But I I love strengths. I I think in Western world, we focus too much on weaknesses. And you said something early in the conversation, folks. If you remember, guys like you, Robert, figure it out. And you figure it out pretty quick in life, usually, that playing to your strengths is the way to go. So for the entrepreneur who may be struggling because they're just doing something that, quite frankly, they're not good at, this is a wake-up call. I want you to give us a wake-up call on the importance of strength. Well, the reason I don't do well in, I didn't do well in school is I am not detail-oriented. Mm-hmm. My natural inclination is to take something complex and simplify it. So you notice academics, they get paid to take the simple and make it complex. And my job is to make the complex simple. That's right. Now, the way I, I learned that, there's a thing called Colby, K-O-L-B-E dot com. I think it costs 50 bucks for the profile. Take the Colby and you'll find out your strength as well as your weaknesses. And then you can understand it. Another thing that Colby does, the reason I like it better than all the other profiles or self-analysis thing, is Colby is team-oriented. So they have a thing called the matrix. 
So let's say there's five of you. You all take the Colby and she has this matrix. And the matrix will tell you what your team is lacking. See, there's 24 traits we all have to have to be entrepreneurs, and we don't have them all. But by putting a team together, you might get, say, 20 of the traits. And that's why I kick butt out there against some guy who's self-employed, like a doctor and all that. I can kick his butt all day long financially because I have a team, and they're playing as an individual. So it's not only your strengths, but also who has the strengths and who has the weaknesses, and how do you guys create this matrix? I think it's 24. I could be wrong on the number, but you need this 12 or whatever they are. And so my team is really, really, really tight. You know, my strength is somebody else's weakness. Their weakness is my strength. Yes, that's good. And it's just a matter of self-evaluation on that thing. So I love Colby, K-O-L-B-E. I don't know how much it costs, but I've done their courses. And it really opened my eyes as to what my core strength is, and it's I simplify. My wife doesn't simplify. She makes it more complex. You know, I think it's interesting is that one of my favorite, I have a bust of Einstein in my office, and it says, imagination is more important than knowledge. Okay, that's great. Because as, as an entrepreneur, I don't have any answers, but I've got to have imagination of different possible answers. You know, I can try this, try that, try this. So imagination is how I win. But when I look at that quote by uh, right on the bust of Einstein, imagination is more important than knowledge. In our school system, knowledge is more important than imagination. It's yes. opposite. Yep. You see, everything is opposite. There's an opposite out there everywhere. And so your job is to find the opposite that supports you. Well, I have to ask you, it's too important to leave this. And I know you haven't parented kids, but I, I still believe you can speak and give advice to parents. So I'm just giving you that qualifier. Uh, but, uh, but this is true. And as a father of three, they're all in elementary school right now. Uh, I absolutely concur with you, and a lot of parents do. And it, it concerns me. So outside of school alternatives, which there are some, but largely speaking, Western schools subscribe to what you just said. It's about knowledge versus imagination. How should we as parents uh, come beside that part of the education system that's driving knowledge and test scores and make sure that we are helping our kids learn how to imagine? It's worse than that. The the schools are killing your kid's brain and spirit. It's terrible. But anyway, as I learned... uh, be an entrepreneur playing Monopoly, you know, four greenhouses, one red hotel. And I played that game by hours with Rich Dad, with my Rich Dad. So when you look at how a person learns, they learn best by practice. And that's what Dave so elo- eloquently pointed out to me, is I have different skill sets and I have different training, I have different mindsets. And I played Monopoly thousands of times. And I play Monopoly in real life today. So if mm-hmm. you understand that, you can train your kids for the future because schools will not. Schools will tell you that knowledge is more important than the imagination. Wow. Strong and sobering words from Robert Kiyosaki. Robert, thank you so much for your friendship to our organization, to Dave. And uh, we know your time is valuable. We're all better for hearing from you today. So we're very, very grateful. Yeah, and thank you guys. And thank Dave for doing what he's doing. <laughs> thank you. How fantastic was it to hear Robert Kiyosaki talking about his good friend Donald Trump in politics? It's just hilarious. Could you imagine those two in a roundtable? Eric, the producer, that's a roundtable I'd love to host. Robert Kiyosaki and Donald Trump, a free-for-all, because that's effectively what it might be. (laughs) All right, hey, folks, uh, keeping the train rolling here on the content. So you heard Robert and I talk about fear, 
And in chapter four of Entree Leadership, Dave's book, number one New York Times bestselling book, we've been bringing you, by the way, the audio. If you're just joining this on the podcast, you can go back several episodes, and we're kind of walking you slowly through Dave's audio book. What better than to hear the man himself read Entree Leadership to you? So today we're going to focus on chapter four, Spineless Leader is an Oxymoron, the Easier Way to Make Hard Decisions. Fear is a big part of that chapter, and Dave writes about it. So listen to Dave read from chapter four, Spineless Leader is an Oxymoron. A leader who won't or can't make decisions is never going to succeed and certainly will never become a full-fledged entree leader. When you make the choice to call yourself a leader, or even better yet, aspire to be an entree leader, you have to declare that passivity is no longer an option. Leadership is not for the weak and the timid. It requires tremendous backbone, tremendous strength. The larger your dream, the larger your organization, the more complicated and emotionally draining your decisions. Big-time entree leadership is simply not for wimps. Yet we have all faced decisions that cause us to freeze, to become indecisive. Indecisive leader is an oxymoron. Your business, your family, your team, and your future is paralyzed when you are. You put all you dream about in jeopardy when you are indecisive. Nothing gets killed by your gun when all you say is ready, aim, 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 aim. You drive your most talented people crazy by doing this. Indecision is something that happens to all of us. The challenge here is to systematically drive it from your life so you can win as an entree leader. To drive indecision from your life, you must first identify what causes it. There are two main causes of indecision. First, fear. One thing that causes us to not make obvious decisions is fear. Fear is the ultimate cause of paralysis. We get that deer-in-the-headlights look and freeze right in the path of danger. The Bible says that a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In other words, someone who can't make up their mind, make a decision, is unstable, unpredictable, and will bring ruin to their organization. I call that squirrel theology because it reminds me of the squirrel that runs in the road in front of your car. The fear of your car bearing down on the squirrel causes them to run one way, then another, then another, all in the middle of the street until you hear a blump, blump. Ouch. Indecision caused by fear will get you killed. One of the core values of our company is that we don't make decisions based on fear. Sometimes we are afraid. We might be afraid of losing a customer or afraid of a lawsuit or afraid of losing money. It is wise to recognize that those fears may be well-founded, and we should not ignore the potential consequences of our decision, but we will not allow the spirit of fear to drive us. Otherwise, every competitor who chooses to threaten us would make us run to the corner and suck our thumb. So in our group, we intentionally say out loud that a situation or problem is making us afraid and then get about the business of making a decision without allowing that fear to be the driving factor in the decision. Dorothy Bernard says that courage is just fear that has said its prayers. Information is king. 90% of making the right decision is the gathering of information. The bigger the decision, the more time you take, the more options you gather, and the more informed you should become. 
If you are a young, broke college student, the cell phone you buy is a big investment, and it is your social umbilical cord. So this is a big decision. Entree leaders should take a lesson from teenagers and the amount of research they do before they purchase a phone. They intuitively know how big a deal this is, so they do sampling, try other people's phones, and focus group testing. They ask everyone in their world what the best phone is. And they generally purchase a phone that is exactly what they thought it was. Why do teens go into such detail on the information gathering? Because it is so important to them. Yet I meet business people who will lease a building or buy a $20,000 computer system or hire 10 people with no more thought and research than they would do before ordering dinner. The art to making the call, a good decision, involves gathering information. Sometimes people think that the more information you have to wade through, the harder the decision is. The opposite is true. The more information you have, the more obvious the correct decision is. And therefore, it is an easier decision to make. Information removes fear. Titus said, we fear things in proportion to our ignorance of them. Decisions set you free. Principled people, entree leaders, are forced to address evil, inequity, conflict, as well as matters of justice and mercy. Your progress as an entree leader will ultimately be tied to your ability to make the call. Work to develop making the call an art form where you are literally painting a canvas of your life, your business, and your future with the colors of the decisions you've made. Many of your decisions won't be right. You will make mistakes. President John F. Kennedy said, there are costs and risks to a program of action, but they are far less than the long-range risks and costs of comfortable inaction. You will find that decisions are liberating. The more you are able to make the call, the more peace you will walk in. I am convinced that is one of the reasons I can be so extremely busy and yet energized. I try not to go home with decisions left undone. If I decide to wait until tomorrow to decide, that is still stress relieving. Hey, I want to mention that uh, we don't talk about the book that much. We just give it to you via the audio here on the podcast, but it is a number one New York Times bestselling book, and you can get it wherever books are sold. We'd love for you to get it at DaveRamsey.com, and a fantastic book. It really is the playbook on how Dave started the business in his living room on a card table. So uh, I do want to mention that. Go get the book. If you haven't read it, it really is good stuff. Hey, uh, I told you about going to Infusionsoft, and this is what I like about this. I said this several episodes ago, and I remember <laughs> sometimes Eric the producer will go, hey, I like the way you said that. And uh, I was talking about how you get to know people. You know, like when you're dating, the best I can give is, it's been a long time. I've been married almost 18 years. But, you know, when, when I would date a girl, I was kind of that guy that was like, I'm kind of waiting to meet the parents, even if I was really into the gal. And this didn't happen very often, but I wanted to kind of see the family situation. I was that guy. I'm an overanalyzer, if you know what I mean. And you learn a lot. The point is you learn a lot when you go into somebody's house and you see what it's like in their environment. How does the girl act? Our mom and dad, nut jobs, you know, the whole nine yards. So really excited to go to Infusionsoft. And let me just say, they're not nut jobs. These people are great. The culture is great. So Eric, the producer, and I walk in and uh, we meet. Uh, Chad and Michelle from their team, they give us the whole tour. And as soon as we walk in, we see this gigantic, I don't know, what was it? Three stories high, just open ceiling, just all the way up. And there's a football, uh, AstroTurf football field, 40 yards worth, right in the middle of the building. 
people out in the middle of it, sitting there talking, you know, kind of a thing. I was immediately looking for a football so I could have, you know, Eric the producer run a couple patterns. But uh, alas, never found a football. Then they take us over and show us the world's largest cereal bar. I don't know if this is true, but I'm saying that it is because I've never seen a cereal bar bigger than this. And what, a couple hundred boxes of cereal already in trash cans on the counter. That's a tradition there. So I say all that to say fun culture, but purposeful culture. Uh, I won't get into the football and the cereal thing right here, but it's all part of their early days. And they've kept that as a part of their fabric. And you know what? People want to work at a place like that. You know, I'll be honest with you. I'm going to hit Dave up for our own cereal bar. I'd like to have myself some Lucky Charms every morning here. You know, so why not? So here's the deal, folks. They really are great. We recommend them all the time. But the fact is, they're world changers. They can change your world. Just check them out, infusionsoft.com slash entree. That's infusionsoft.com slash entree. Hey, I want to mention Summit 2016 really quick. The ticket sales for this are really moving quick. This is a high-end event, May 22 through 25, multiple days. But it's in Dallas, Texas. Seth Godin, Jim Collins, Henry Cloud, Pat Lencioni, our very own Chris Hogan, Christy Wright, and Dave Ramsey. And then we have a big-time surprise. It's really not a surprise anymore because I've been telling you about it. You can go to entreleadership.com slash summit and see who the mystery speaker is. This is a contract thing. If you're just joining us again, you're like, why aren't you telling me this is obnoxious? Well, I agree. But I'm not obnoxious. The contract is obnoxious. So there it is. Just go find out who it is. Uh, I'll be there hosting the event. It's going to be terrific fun. Uh, By the way, all of the speakers I just listed coming to the Entree Leadership Podcast, again, they've been on here before. We're going to have them back as we lead into Summit. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. We'd love to see you there, May 22 through 25, EntreeLeadership.com slash Summit. Well, folks, as I always say, but I truly mean, on behalf of our producer, Eric Anthony, and the entire Entree Leadership team, We appreciate you. We sincerely thank you for listening. And here's the good news. We're going to talk with you again really soon.